The following is a paid program. The views expressed by the following program are those of the sponsor and not necessarily those of 77 WABC and Red Apple Media. A brand new sound for your Sunday morning. Teach me. Introducing the Reverend A.R. Bernard of the Christian Cultural Center. Was a son of a preacher man. And Rabbi Joseph Fantasnik of Religion on the Line. The only one who could ever teach me. Now, now on 77 WABC, the Rev and the Rabbi, where faith matters. Good morning, I'm Rabbi Joseph Fantasnik. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. Happy Sunday to everyone. And, Rabbi? Yeah, I look forward to the end of this election cycle for a simple reason. One, we'll have a, our candidates in place. But more important than that, I won't be receiving any of those robocalls or mailings. <laughs> I mean, it's got to stop. <laughs> you know, I well, think did you see the debate this past week with, uh, with, with I the read, I read excerpts. Um, it be, became ugly. It became ugly. Uh, yeah, yeah, but you know what? That's that's the world that we we live in. You know, I, people want their news as entertainment. They want their politics as entertainment, and unfortunately, even their religion as as entertainment. People want to be entertained by everything, and boy, did those candidates entertain us! <laughs> they went at each other. Yeah, yeah. Watching a little bit of uh, verbal wrestling, uh, mm-hmm. and I got to tell you, talking about ugly, and I and I say this. I'm a sports fan, and I'm a Boston fan. Uh, but there was an ugly moment uh, that occurred in Boston where a fan, a uh, Celtics fan, threw a water bottle uh, at Kyrie Irving of the Brooklyn Nets. Now, that is uh, unconscionable to do something of that nature. To me, you do wait, that. Wait, wait, wait. Hold it. Hold it. Hold it. Oh, I want to memorialize this. You are talking about Boston fans misbehaving? Well, let me complete. let me complete the entire thought. There was a New York Knicks fan okay, uh, that, spat, okay. that uh, spat or threw something at a member of the Atlanta Hawks basketball team. Uh, and, of course, they were apprehended, both of those characters, uh, and hopefully banned for life. I, I think if you dare go into a stadium and in any way threaten a player or you hurl some racial epithet or you do anything that is uncalled for, you're not just suspended. I, I think you should be bad. You, you're persona non grata. And I, unfortunately, this ugliness of the way we talk to each other. Wow. You're, you're, now you sound like the cancel culture. Where, where's the grace, Rabbi? Well, uh, let Just me go to the <laughs> ban forever. Well, you know, you, but you put you put people in jeopardy. There's got to be a price to be paid for that. You can watch the game on TV. No one's preventing you from watching. The game. <laughs> but but you but you you know you, you've got to pay a price for for that kind of inappropriate. There have to be consequences. All right. All right. You, you, you know what? Well, let's ban the person for fifty years. You can come back after that. Okay. Okay. Fifty years. Yeah. That's that's a little bit more gracious jubilee, and jubilee. compassionate and yeah. heartfelt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But but you know, look. You know. I, look. I think about the prayer that we pray, known as the the Our Father in Catholic circles. In uh, Protestant circles, it's called the 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 the, uh, the Lord's Prayer, and it says, "Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us." And I think built into that statement is reality that we all can, at one time or another, cross boundaries, and we should be conscious that there are boundaries that should not be crossed, exactly. and when we cross them, we should feel bad about it. We should have a conviction of conscience and a desire to repair or say, I'm sorry, 
or or get forgiveness. But I will tell you, Rabbi, it seems that the, the, the conscience is being cauterized in, in our society, and people cross boundaries every day and think nothing of it. And even in our criminal justice system, I've spoken about this many times, you can assault someone, you can push someone, you know, off the platform, onto the tracks, and you are arrested, and then you're let out immediately, and you can do it again. There was one person this past week, four or five arrests already this year, 50 arrests uh, on his rap sheet. He's out there again and again. So, uh, you know, we teach our kids that, you know, if you do something wrong, you're going to be called out, and there's going to be some consequence. Well, if we do it with kids, we certainly need to do it with adults, especially when they endanger other lives. Yeah. Yep. Accountability, that's what it's all about. So we have a guest, uh, Rabbi. You've known him for quite a few years. Uh, I was trying to remember when he and I met, sometime when he was serving in the Bloomberg administration. Well, was- he was attorney general, so I, I hope you didn't meet him, you know, in that relationship with people who've committed wrongs. That wasn't it. You didn't meet him when he... When we were called in for a hearing or anything like that. No, no, no. I wasn't yeah. under investigation when I met him. <laughs> no, no. No, but he was attorney general uh, four times. We're talking about Robert Abrams. Uh, and he authored a book entitled The Luckiest Guy in the World, My Journey in Politics. And he's really, a, to me, an exemplary figure, uh, someone we should look up to and, and try to emulate in many ways if we step into that political world. Boy, I tell you, if you can write a book about politics and say it was lucky and you're the luckiest guy to be involved, we need to find out what he did politically, what his career was like. So good to have him on the program. You're going to introduce him when we come back, right? Look forward to it. Great guy. You're listening to The Rev and the Rabbi right here on 77 WABC. And we'll be right back. Renee Aubenard. Rabbi Joseph Potasnik, the Rev and the Rabbi, where faith matters. 77 WABC and WABCRadio.com. I'm Rabbi Joseph Potasnik. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. Reverend, we are privileged today to have as a guest someone who was in the assembly, three terms, borough president, three terms, attorney general of the state of New York, four terms. I'm referring to the Honorable Robert Abrams, who is really one of the most respected figures, uh, not only in New York, but around the country, uh, who established a, a standard of excellence wherever he went. So, Bob Abrams, thanks so much for being with the Reverend Rabbi. Rabbi Potasnik, thank you for those exceedingly gracious uh, remarks and opening comments. I, I very much appreciate it. So there's a book yes. you have authored entitled The Luckiest Guy in the World. I'm just waiting. Did your wife write the sequel, The Luckiest Woman in the World? I didn't see that yet. Well, I don't know if, if, if she'd agree, you know. With the, uh, but we've been married for 46 years. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I consider myself lucky. I've had a strong family, you know, yeah. married to the same woman for 46 years, a great marriage and two wonderful daughters and eight great, eight terrific uh, grandchildren. And and I'm lucky too because uh, you know I've 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 had a a wonderful life. I've, I've really been blessed. I've had a chance to serve the public. You mentioned three offices. Each one was a little different, and each gave me an opportunity to serve. Uh, you know, the two of you have a calling, 
And I view government and politics as a calling. You know, it's got a terrible mm-hmm. reputation. And, uh, you know, it's understandable. There, there's lots that's going on that disappoints people. And sometimes people in public office betray the public trust. And that's what uh, garners a headline. Uh, but I, most of the people I found in, in public life and public service did a good job, were able people. And I just felt very privileged to be able to do whatever I could in any post that I had you know, to serve people. Uh, and um, and each, each of them was a little different. I was a legislator dealing with legislation and bills, and it was borough president trying to deal with a very diverse community in the Bronx, and I was proud that I was able to relate to each of those communities, the African-American community, the Hispanic community, the Jewish community, the Italian community, the Irish community. And, you know, I was able to do equally well politically or, you know, uh, electorally when I went to, to the polls and ran for office in the primary and the general election in each of those communities. And, uh, and they were very diverse. And I saw as one of my jobs, frankly, as trying to, you know, win their confidence and to say we all have to hang together. You know, uh, I, I felt we, you know, New York is the greatest experiment in the history of the world. Never before have so many different kinds of people come to live in one place at the same time. And obviously, from time to time, there's a little bit of a spark or this friction. But, you know, for the most part, this experiment works. We get along. We built a great city, a great economy, a great culture, you know. Um, so I, that's spoken, one of the other reasons I feel so lucky that I've been able to serve. Well, spoken like a true New Yorker, this is Reverend Bernard. Uh, you know, I, when I looked up your profile, it had under the heading personal life, one paragraph, and then under the heading political career, 10 paragraphs, <laughs> and then under post political career, 13 paragraphs. You're doing more. (laughs) So I'm saying, okay, one paragraph on his personal life, and yet that personal life and the value for family and faith uh, is why, or should I say is what I would think empowered you to have such a long, uh, you know, list of of accomplishments uh, during your political career and your post-political career. Well, it's a, it, it provides a good base. It provides strength, uh, you know. Uh, and a lot of people, you know, today they're afraid of uh, 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 making a vote. You know, they they don't vote their conscience uh, because they're afraid of what might happen at the polls. And if you have a strong family to come back to, you don't have to worry about that. You do the you, the best that you possibly can, and you vote your conscience. And if you can explain, I always felt if you can explain to the public why what you did and why they'll understand and they'll accept you and frankly if you went down in an election you know based upon you know what you did so what you go on with the rest of your life you go on you know to to make other contributions uh one door closes another door opens but you know the key thing is to uh, to have strong roots and good family relationships, and uh, and it goes on from there. And that's important because, you know, politics is power. There's manipulation, there's corruption, there's the good that it, that it does. You know, it is the legitima- legitimization of power and the distribution of power uh, within a society. And often 
you know, it, it, it affects those who are engaged in it uh, negatively. But you've had a stellar career, uh, very, very impactful. And you've also witnessed the changes that have taken place in society, socially, politically, morally, in our society. We talk about global warming and climate change, but there has been a cultural climate change over the last several decades. Speak to that. What do you see in terms of the cultural climate change that we've experienced? Well, well, look, America is dynamic. America is a a place of immigrants. And that's one thing I don't understand why people, you know, rail against immigrants these days. I mean, the country was built on on immigrants. We're all newcomers. We all came here from a different place. And, And and to me. Anybody who comes here, that's a person of grace. That's a person, you know, that we should respect, that we should want, because that person comes here by, by, by the drive of will. They want to come to this country. They want a better life for their children. They want to work hard and become successful. And, um, and that's been the history of America. You know, every ethnic, racial group that has come here, you know, has has built the society. And, uh, you know, I'm so proud of this country to be an American for all that we have achieved and what we stand for. Now, look, are there imperfections? Of course. Does it work perfectly? No. Uh, you know, are, are there problems in our country? Of Yes. But it's the, the greatest society on the, on the face of the earth. We give people an opportunity to be heard, to advance, to prosper. To, to to live free and breathe free and to honor their religion, you know. Uh, so it's a, it's a great nation with a great set of core principles. And so it seems to me we should be welcoming people yeah. to these shores. We're speaking with former Attorney General of the State of New York, Robert Abrams. Bob, I've come to uh, know you for a number of years, and I've said something uh, about you to others that I think is so true. You're a person who's able to relate to different communities with different identities. At the same time, you're not one who compromises your own identity. You happen to be a proud American Jew. And what I find so maddening today is I see political figures, members of our community, who who do not, do not present themselves in that proud fashion. Uh... When they're running for election, they will come to various congregations and, you know, make all the representations that they're connected to the Jewish world. When they get into public office, not so much, or sometimes not at all. How is it you are able to maintain the identity? Others are not. Well, look, I don't know, Joe. I mean, I'm just proud of who, you know, where I came from. Uh, I remember my first day in office as attorney general. It was, it was in number two World Trade Center on the 47th floor, and there was a wonderful reporter, Stan Brooks, mm-hmm. uh, who worked for WINS. He was there for decades, and he was interviewing me. And he said, Bob, how does it feel to be the attorney general of the, of the state of New York? And I said, Stan, you and I are looking out this window, and we're looking at the Statue of Liberty. And what an incredible experience I'm having. I mean, you know, my grandparents came here, uh, running away from persecution uh, for a better life. They, ran away, they, they, they came from Russia, where there were pogroms, 
where they uh, they were persecuted for who they were. And uh, and 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 look at this. Now their grandson is the attorney general of the state of New York. What a great country. I'm not sure. And we're looking at the Statue of Liberty who 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 holds out the beacon of hope for all those people who are in her presence. And I said, I'm not sure my grandparents saw the Statue of Liberty because they were probably down in steerage. And I'm not (laughs) sure they could have gone up to the deck uh, to see her. But uh, it's it's an extraordinary country, and it gives each of us the chance to continue to be proud of who we are, where we came from, what uh, our, our religious roots are, and what our beliefs are. And at the same time, you know, be an American and uh, be a success in our society and be proud to, uh, to be part of this country. So, you know, I don't see any inconsistency. No, I say that because... With the rise in anti-Semitism and the hate attacks, uh, I expect more uh, from those in our community to speak and come forward and say, look, as a Jew, I have to speak out. My conscience demands I speak. I speak out for others, but I have to speak out for my own. And I think sometimes there are those who are reluctant to stand up for their own, but they have no reluctance to stand up for others. And I don't understand that kind of hybrid. It's something that I find very troubling. You didn't have that fear. As a matter of fact, I think people respected you more because you had the great respect for who you were. Uh, I just I just see the diminution uh, of that kind of pride uh, in some of our elected officials. You know, Joe, there's an interesting story uh, attached to that. It reminds me of it, because uh, when I got married, you know, look, I've always been t- proud to be a member of the Jewish community. My parents uh, were hardworking. They ran a candy store, a luncheonette. Uh, you know, they worked very hard to, to provide for their two children. But they were not overly religious. On the high Jewish holidays, they went to the synagogue, but they didn't observe uh, on, a, on a consistent, uh, you know, and an orthodox way. And when I got married, when I was about to get married, got engaged, I was, I was engaged to a woman who uh, observed, was orthodox. And um, one of the things she said, she said, look, you know, if we get married, I'd want to be able to celebrate the Shabbat every Friday night and sundown to be able to come to the table with the whole family. And I want you to be home on Friday night. And I said, well, Diane, look, I understand that. But, you know, I'm in politics and I got to relate to all kinds of people. And Friday night's a busy night. There are a lot of dinners that groups have. And I'm an insurgent. And I, I I like to respond, uh, you know, to community invitations and to community groups, but I, I did it. And, and when I would get an invitation to go to an event, uh, I tell my secretary, well, we have to send out the Friday night dinner. I had, I had uh, uh, created a letter saying, look, thanks very much for your invitation. I very much want to be with you and other members of the organization. But when I uh, got married, I, took a, I made a sacrosanct commitment to be home on Friday night with my wife and my family. And, um, you know, so unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to be with you. There'll be other occasions. And so one day I was having um, a meeting in my office and it was getting late and um, somebody leaned over to me. It happened to be a meeting that uh, from the minority community, Hispanics and blacks there and uh, African-Americans. And this guy leaned over to me and said, looked at his watch and he said, you know, Mr. Abrams, 
isn't it getting getting late? It's getting close to sundown. Don't you have to be home? And, uh, and I smiled. And, and, and then we concluded the meeting in a few minutes. He came over to me afterwards. He said, you know, I said that because when you got married, I, I read in the local newspaper in the Bronx, you know, this little story about a pledge that you made to your wife. And and so it's it's it corroborates what you just said, Rabbi Potasnik, that people will respect you for who you are. Mm-hmm. And people of faith will respect anybody who, you know, honors their own faith in their own way. And uh, it's a wonderful little vignette that stayed with me. So, and, and Joe Lieberman told me, he's a friend of mine, you know, he, he's an Orthodox uh, religious person, and he comes from a state that's heavily Catholic. And he said it never hurt him running in Connecticut. Uh, people of the Catholic faith always felt uh, uh, that they they were they were proud and honored to have somebody represent them who was committed to, to his own faith. So uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't think these values are inconsistent. Great. You know, you know, you, you ring up Joe Lieberman. He and I did a book signing together, and um, I remember Chapter Thirteen of his book where he talks about the Sabbath uh, as 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 a principle. Um, to guide life. And I asked him, I, I said, you know, what did you do when things were demanded of you on the Sabbath? And, you know, he said, I adjusted the best I could to stay faithful, but did not feel guilty or judged uh, when I could not, you know, keep it to the letter of the law. So he saw it as a principle to be to be practiced as opposed to something to be idolized. And I really respected that. Uh, uh, about him, uh, because that's a tough situation to be, you know, in, in, in terms of trying to practice that. Rene Aguinard, Rabbi Joseph Potasnik, the Rev and the Rabbi, where faith matters. 77 WABC and WABCRadio.com. My question for you is what was one of the toughest situations that you had to handle? I think about the Tawana Brawley case. And the controversy around that, and that was an extremely difficult uh, assignment for you, a special prosecutor, to investigate the, the claims of Brawley. Was that one of the most challenging? Because you know you you had tensions, uh, you know, within the, the community of color. You had uh, representatives like Al Sharpton and others. Uh, was that the most uh, challenging for you? It was. It, it, it was the. Um uh, the most visible case of my career, and uh, it, it was filled with a, a lot of tension because here was uh, a teenage African American girl who leveled, who, who told the public this this horrendous story that she was abducted over a four day period by a group of four to six white men, one of whom affiliated with law enforcement, and she was raped and sodomized and uh, abused. And I remember reading about it in the newspaper before I ever got involved in the case. I read the story in the newspaper. I said to my wife, I said, Diane, look at this story. How, how, how can this be that this, this could happen in New York? This is not the Deep South. This is not Jim Crow. This is, oh, my God, look, look at this. And I'm sure anybody who read that story in a newspaper or heard about it at the outset was, was horrified. But then, unfortunately, you know, as as time went by, I say unfortunately, as as it relates to the, the young girl. I mean, she was she was troubled. She, she had, there was reason. It, it didn't stack up. 
it wasn't true. She didn't cooperate uh, with the law enforcement authorities, and we had to pull together all kinds of information. And it turned out because she went to a hospital immediately after she was found, and there was no evidence of rape. There was no evidence of abuse. All these different tests were undertaken, and. Um, there were people who saw her in and around an apartment. She wasn't out in for the four days in the cold. It was very cold weather. There was no signs of, of malnutrition. There was no signs of her being out in that cold weather. And indeed, people saw her in and around an apartment that her family had vacated several months before. And there was evidence of... Uh, in that apartment of the condition in which she was found. There were all kinds of abusive things written on her body and uh, the, the, the material uh, with which that was, what was written on her body was found in that apartment as well as all kinds of evidence. And, and it all was contained in a grand jury report. There were, there were uh, 6,000 uh, uh, pages of, uh, 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 of testimony that was uh, given to the grand jury and uh, there were um, 180 witnesses and 250 exhibits, and and the report indicated that uh, that that there was not a true story, and 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 it was filled with tension for me, Reverend. You're right because I was a guy who has had a very strong civil rights record and very sensitive uh, to any kind of oppression, oppression against anybody, and I was very sensitive to issues relating to the African American community, whether the, when I went to Mississippi and the, and the civil rights movement and all kinds of people who I hired, you know, setting records and giving African-Americans and women a chance to have high positions in public office and appointments I made, et cetera, et cetera, and supporting all kinds of civil rights things, whether it's for gay people or for women or, you know, my record was very strong. And here I was in the middle of this um, uh, of this cauldron of all kinds of uh, accusations being made. and um, But in the end, I think people of goodwill who saw the work that was done as editorials expressed in newspapers, not only in New York, but all across the country, they thought that the investigation was done with total integrity and, um, you know, um, that people believed uh, the ultimate report. Most of the people believed the ultimate report that was issued. Yeah, that's a tough thing because you have, you know, the public opinion uh, in the African-American community, because I remember the case. And there are those who wanted to believe that she was telling the truth because of a history of abuse. And uh, but, you know, the facts stacked up and we didn't have social media. We didn't have all of these platforms to disseminate information back then the way we did today. So the media's uh, role in presenting the result of the case was critical to even uh, keeping a degree of peace in the community because there was some hostility and there were those who were trying to use it as an opportunity to agitate, uh, you know, between community in, in terms of violence. So that was, that was a tough situation, uh, especially for you, you know, supervising it. Can I add something yeah, to that? Absolutely right. I mean, there were all kinds of uh, you know epithets uh, thrown around, and uh, and obviously somebody who was very sensitive to all these issues, as I am now today. For, you know, obviously there are problems in the criminal justice system. I mean, all of this, you know, the, the shootings uh, of, of people of color by by police departments all across the country, and uh, you know the tragedies that that we know too well that have taken place for a long period of time. So somebody who was sensitive to all of that, 
you know, that was part of the whole emotional trauma of, of this event. But, you know, you take every case on the merits as it comes down the pike and you call them as you see them. And right. in this particular case, you know, uh, this was a troubled uh, teenager who feared going, going home late at night uh, from a party to a stepfather. And she had to come up with a story as to, you know, uh, why she was coming home late or why she didn't appear. And um, and in the end, you know, there were uh, leaders in the African-American community of goodwill who knew who I was and followed mm-hmm. it, you know, and understood what yeah. was yeah, but Doug there was Bob Sutton or Basil Patterson or right, David Dinkins. Right. You know, they all understood what happened. And mm-hmm. but Bob, and let me ask you: side. there were those who vilified you and others. I remember the horrible accusations were made. Were any apologies ever forthcoming? Beyond the no, look, the penalties? I mean, I, I, I was. I'm not looking for for apologies or anything like that. You know, look, every we have a job to do. I was given that task uh, by the governor to be a special prosecutor. It was uh, obviously a, a hot potato because uh, of the serious allegations and the refusal of uh, the people involved to cooperate. Whether it was uh, the teenage girl herself or, or her advisors or the family, and um, you know, I, I was I, just committed to leave no stone unturned as I use that language in those days and you know we'll see it to the end whatever will be will be we'll pursue this case and we'll report to the public what happened and um, you know yeah. I think, no I just uh, I just feel response it turned out okay I think responsible leadership demands that when you're wrong you admit you're wrong uh, and I don't recall anybody saying they were wrong uh, you did that which was right and I think you paid a tremendous you and others paid a tremendous emotional price uh, for standing up for truth uh, and others just refused to, you know, to come forward and say, we made a huge mistake here. We are sorry. The words I'm sorry go a long way in writing a new chapter. And I, I don't remember that happening. Bob, let me ask you something totally different. I look at your book. I see pictures of you with leaders of different parties. I'm not sure in today's, as Reverend said, this, uh, you know, the, cultural climate change i'm not sure today you'll be able to you know sit with leaders of different the different sides and try to find uh, a path forward because we live in such a divide where you're accused of being a traitor by some if you dare sit with those who have an opposing point of view yeah it's a very ugly and acrimonious atmosphere out there in, in politics uh, today. I mean, I was proud of the fact that when I was attorney general and I was serving as president of the National Association of Attorneys General, we were unified. It didn't matter uh, whether we were Democrat or Republican, whether we were liberal or conservative, whether we represented a large state or a small state. We all respected one another. We listened to each other. And we acted together. I mean, that's one of the things I'm, I'm proud of. Uh, I helped try to change and reform the office of attorney general, uh, use it in a more aggressive way to protect people's rights as consumers, to protect the, the quality of the environment for people living in each state and across the country, to protect people's civil rights. And, uh, and we acted collectively. We did things that never were done before by attorneys general having multi-state investigations and multi-state prosecutions. Um, and, um, you know, it was, it was a day when we demonstrated that, that party affiliation need not make a big difference. We're out there. We take an oath of office to protect the public interest and to work for the people. And, um, 
uh, and we did it, and it was it was quite a record. And uh, I think uh, you know I called it the halcyon days of, of being attorney general, because unfortunately today partisanship has spilled over even into the role of the attorney general, because now there's a Democratic Attorney General's Association and a Republican Attorney General's Association, as well as a National Association of Attorneys General. Um, so, you know, it's it's a poisonous part, partisan atmosphere, which uh, I feel most unfortunate. You know, things don't get done uh, in, in Washington because there is an inability uh, for individuals and, and for party members to listen to each other hear each other, respect one another, and move forward in, in a spirit of compromise to achieve something, you know, uh, something for the public good to help heal and repair the world and repair this country and move us forward. And but you, you also very, you put your money. Very unfortunate. Yeah, but you put your money where your mouth was and your reputation where, where your mouth was because to support um, public advocate at that time, to Shane, when she was running for New York State Attorney General, you know, you, you, you gave her a public endorsement and, you know, showed that you wanted to elevate someone uh, to an office where she's the first woman, of course, the first African-American to be elected to that position. Uh, and yet you did not mind being uh, openly identified and supportive uh, of her movement into that position. And then, of course, she made you uh, part of a transition team. But I think that says a lot when you're willing to take your reputation and use it for necessary change in our society. Absolutely. I'm very proud of, uh, of, of my relationship with Tish James. In fact, she wrote the foreword to the book. Uh, you know, this, she's, she's right there in the book. Um, and, um, and, and I'm so proud of the job that she's done because uh, I continue to talk to attorneys general around the country. I actually, I take a delegation of attorneys general to Israel every year. Uh, we had about 14, 15 attorneys general do it last year. And, and I hear from them, you know, their admiration for Tish James says, Bob, you guys in New York, you know, have a great advocate. Uh, uh, she's really uh, won them over in terms of uh, her advocacy, her leadership, uh, her integrity, um, her commitment, uh, you know, to these issues and being willing to work together. So uh, she's done a great job. Yeah. Reverend, let me tell you something Bob Abrams did for us, for you, for me. And for the faith community in New York, uh, Reverend, you and I, as we mentioned a number of times, sit on this commission of religious leaders. Uh, and at one point, uh, you and I, the Cardinal, uh, we looked at to expand the membership. And it was Bob Abrams who strongly had suggested that we look at the Mormon community and we bring them to the table. Uh, hmm. and, and throughout the years, he's been a great, great uh, friend. Uh, of the Mormon community. I've been to Salt Lake City with Bob and met many leaders there as well as here. Uh, but Bob, talk about that for a moment. How does a Jewish kid get involved with the Mormons <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> bring them to a table with Christians and other uh, faith representatives? Well, it was interesting because I, I had a friend, uh, a client and a friend who, who is a member of the LDC Church, uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, and uh, he said, you know, Bob, you're, you're a leader in New York, and particularly in the Jewish community, and you bring a delegation of Jewish leaders um, out to Salt Lake City. And um, I said, sure. 
And uh, a group of us went. Uh, I made sure that that was a diverse group, even within the Jewish community. That there, there were conservative rabbis and Orthodox rabbis and uh, and Reform rabbis. That there were men, there were women, um, and uh, there were people beyond the rabbis. There there were writers and uh, uh, the leaders, uh, the Michael Miller from the JCRC. So it was a, a wonderful visit, a wonderful opportunity. Then I found out, too, in the course of all that, that there was an issue of, of great concern to the Jewish community. Um, Ernie Michelle, who was the past uh, chair of the UJA Federation, was concerned about uh, a proxy baptism effort by the, by the LDS Church. Uh, he felt that, uh, you know, caused uh, uh, forced uh, uh, baptism, alteration of uh, faith of those who died in the Holocaust, people who died in the, who were murdered in the Holocaust. And so... There was a whole. There was a rift at that time. So I volunteered myself uh, to, since I was getting to know some of the leadership, the the uh, people and members of the quorum uh, of the LDS Church to work it out. And uh, it took a year and a half, uh, but we had a joint statement, and uh, that problem was put behind us. And then from there, we grew in terms of our our roles and relationship uh, because uh, we went out with other delegations. We did other things. And Joe, uh, Rabbi Potasnik, you were a part of it, too. You, as the, your leadership role in the New York Board of Rabbis, uh, you know, showed great sensitivity and, and willingness to, to, to further the understanding between these two groups. And it happened to be between the, the Mormon community, the LDS community in this case, but I know where you're coming from and where I'm coming from, where thankfully, and where uh, Reverend Bernard is coming from, and thankfully so others in our country, we, we want to try to be as unified as possible. Mm-hmm. And so what's, what's happened now is this very, very warm relationship between the two groups. Um, and in fact, we had a delegation that you were part of right. uh, the, on the 175th anniversary of, a, of, a, of an LDS, a Mormon leader named Orson Hyde. He, he was told by Joseph Smith, the, the founder of that religion, to go to, the, to, to Israel, to go to Jerusalem and to have a dedicatory and to say uh, on the Mount of Olives that this is the land of the Jewish people with Jerusalem as its capital, with a rebuilt Jerusalem as its capital. And here we were 175 years later at the Mormon Center on Mount Scopus, overlooking the old city, and we celebrated together Jewish leaders and LDS leaders, and we met with the prime minister with the mayor of Jerusalem, and we laid a wreath um, at Yad Vashem, uh, the eternal flame for those who perished in the, in the Holocaust, and, and we went to the park named for Orson Hyde, and there was an opportunity to bring two groups together, and I think that's what life is all about, that's what public life should be all about, that's what spiritual life should be all about, and you two, you know, on this program with me, your, your lives are about that as well, reaching out the hand uh, your hand to others to to try to you know in terms of recognition of common humanity and to bring about greater wow. understanding and brother. That's a great way. To well, I, I want it said of me as as I read it said of you 
by several individuals, one particular uh, professor uh, uh, at Columbia University, and it said concerning Bob Abrams, he retired with honor, dignity, and respect. Mm. And to have the career that you have had, with all of the pitfalls that come with it, uh, to say to have someone say that you 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 retired with that, I think that's something to strive for. Rev, if I could just add as we conclude, I saw one blurb in your book, Bob, that said you are a leader with uh, independence, integrity, and intelligence. You have all those three qualities. I said that in your book. Uh, and I, <laughs> I, I meant it. Of course, it. you had to point to it, right? <laughs> I meant it then. I mean it now. What an honor it is. That's why, Bob, you were the biggest vote getter in the state of New York when when you ran. Well, thank you. Thanks a lot, Joe. You're you're a wonderful friend. And and, and Reverend Bernard, thank you for your comments too. It's uh, uh it's very gratifying to hear that. Thank you. Robin well, Abrams. Thank you. Former attorney general, former borough president of the Bronx, former member of the assembly. Uh, there isn't anything he hasn't done in that political field except be president of the United States and Bob it's not too late. Not too late. <laughs> All right. Be well. Thanks so much. Thanks for being on the program, uh, Bob. And we'll be back with more. Ah, that's okay. We'll be back with more of the Rev and the Rabbi right here on 77 WABC. Reverend A.R. Bernard, Rabbi Joseph Potasnik, where faith matters. The Rev and the Rabbi, 77 WABC. Welcome back. I'm Rabbi Joseph Potasnik. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. Reverend, I heard a rabbi speak recently uh, in the state of Florida, and he talked about the great, because when the the spies came back from that uh, reconnaissance mission to see what Israel was like, they brought back grapes. He said, what's unique about a grape? He says, well, it's translucent. You hold it up to a light, you can see right through it. Uh, And he says, we have to be like that. We have to be... You know, transparent in the way that what we what we say we do, uh, who we are in public, we are in private. What always impressed me about Bob Abrams, he's the same person. Uh, I've known him all these years, and uh, he gives you know a good name to that political title. Well, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to explain the story there. You know, you're talking to me. I, I'm initiated. I know what passage of scripture you're talking about. Bringing back the grapes. <laughs> yeah, well, well <laughs> from you know, the land of milk and honey, right? Yeah, yeah, because here are the the Israelites going on this uh, mission. They're concerned about what's it going to be like when we get there. So Moses appoints a committee of twelve and leaders of the of the different communities and. Ten come back with a negative report, two come back mm-hmm. with a positive report. And this was one of those rare moments where minority rules. The two, uh, that opinion was accepted over the ten because it was felt the two spoke honestly. Uh, they didn't speak because of fear. They didn't speak because of uh, any threat. They, this is what they really felt. Well, the others were trying to be, you know, uh, hesitant and uh, not 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 telling the, the the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. Uh, so it's a lesson that two people with principle outweigh ten who lack it. And it's also their their attitude. I mean, they saw the possibilities; mm-hmm. those two, when the others just saw the challenges. And life always has challenges. I mean, you know, our, in our text, it says there were giants in the land uh, that made us look like grasshoppers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet, you know, Joshua and Caleb said, no, no, you know, uh, there's always going to be obstacles and challenges. 
But you've got to look at life through the possibilities, not just the obstacles. Otherwise, you'll 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 never try anything. You'll never risk. You'll 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 never put yourself out there. So I think that story uh, is about the glass being half full or half empty. Yes. Yeah, and you know I read uh, an article remember years ago entitled "The Grass Hope, the Grasshopper Complex." That hmm. some people always see themselves as small compared to others. Others are giants, and they're you know they're insignificant. And that's a lack of uh, faith in who you are, a lack of faith in, you know, uh, your people, uh, your responsibility. Uh, and as you say, the ability to look at something and find the positive uh, aspect of it, not to always see the negative. You know, we have a word kvetch, and I find there are some people that are always kvetching. They're always seeing the negative. The glass is not half full or half, you know, empty. The glass is broken and the shards are in their feet. Uh, you know, they're, they're always ruling out the 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 opportunity uh and others yet are able to see that opportunity and even though you know they may have some fear some hesitation they will go forward absolutely and that's what life is about seizing the opportunities opportunity always comes with opposition life is both threat and promise you know uh, one of the little grandchildren uh said well you know they're giants over there it says <laughs> you know what do you, what do you do i said Become a giant. Yeah. That's all. That's it. Or at least act like a giant, even if you don't. <laughs> right? yeah. Convince the giants yeah, that yeah. you're one of them, yeah, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, how many times have we seen people who, you know, uh, they have certain fears, but they're able to overcome them? I often speak with firefighters. And when they run into a building, of course there are fears. Of course there are concerns about their own lives and the lives of others. But that doesn't deter them from facing the challenge in a forthright fashion. Uh, and I think that's the message that we all have to do so we can say we did the best we could. Uh, Absolutely. If you can say that, Absolutely. then I, th I think you, you have an impressive resume. Yeah, I think so. Well, we had a great program with, with our guest, uh, a stellar guy. And again, you know, to live the life that he lived, especially in politics. And, you know, politics can be an ugly and dirty game. And to still end it with respect and dignity and, and honor. I think that's, that's very, very special. You know, when you go to Albany, there is a building entitled the Robert Abrams Building for Law and Justice. Hmm. And, uh, yeah. you know, that was a great moment when he was on that way. I remember I once asked Mike Bloomberg, what do I get? What honor do I get in this world? He said, I'm thinking of the name of the Gowanus Canal for you. <laughs> thanks thanks a lot it's on the polluted side <laughs> all right Rev. thank you great program always great to be with you rabbi i feel the same and way uh, to all of our listeners thank you for joining us every sunday we you are our motivation and our inspiration in that right rabbi i i agree with you wholeheartedly uh it you know it makes you feel that you've accomplished something when you're able to reach people uh, with a message that resonates uh, with people of all faiths or them, some yeah. of no faith. Um, yeah. But there was a message. They say, I learned something today. And that's to me, a very important accomplishment. Thank you. Absolutely. All right. Until next time, the Rev and the Rabbi right here on 77 WABC.